When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media. From the southernmost point of dawn in the lands of always winter, west of west, whatever's out there, the shadows in the east, this is Casterly Talk. I'm Ken Napsock for a all fan calls and question edition. Episode 34 of the show It was born out of the ashes Daily Thrones here on Anchor Love working with Anchor You hear some of those ads that I read for Anchor About starting a podcast and choosing Anchor I have now uh, completely committed to Anchor I I, I love having my shows here and, And this is a real raw announcement If you're thinking of starting a podcast I really do suggest trying Anchor out How do you like that? Spoken like someone who has truly bent the knee. Ah. Hey, everybody. It's me. We're talking Game of Thrones. HBO's Game of Thrones. The books, which I haven't completely got into yet on this show. I'm waiting for Rachel Cushing's schedule to clear up. I'm waiting for Lon Harris's schedule to clear up. I'm waiting for Ace... Andres Cabrera to pop over here and others. Last week we had Grace Hancock talking about Cersei Lannister. That was a lot of fun. And let me tell you, she loves Cersei. I know, because I got to pour the wine for her. I have to go buy the wine, pour the wine, serve her wine. She's truly a Cersei fan who sips wine like Cersei. More of that coming. More of that coming, but we are here with you. One of the reasons I love being on Anchor is I can hear your voice. It's in my ears. I take questions. You guys got some thought starters. Game of Thrones is still on everyone's mind. We're still kind of looking back, but I'm getting excited about looking ahead. As I finish another Star Wars novel, the Black Spire novel by Delilah S. Dawson, which is really good and in, 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 in if you, you just approach it with an open heart non-cynical way it's a really fun star wars book but i as i finished it i thought you know what i am one day closer to george r, r. martin finally putting out the sixth book winds of winter hit me georgie come on let's do it let's do it or even just I'll, i just want to take the second fire and blood book which actually was my favorite like reading experience of a George R. R. Martin, a Song of Ice and Fire, Game of Thrones book. I'm telling you. Is it weird to say? Sacrilegious? I don't know. I loved Fire and Blood. Once I really, really got into it, once it got going, and it's like page two, just love the history rollout. And I do want, want Star Wars books uh, in that vein too, like living, breathing history books of Star Wars. Uh, enough about that. Okay. Uh, I got some calls, but I also want to take this question here let me get up here uh from my discord page which is uh you can access through my patreon page at patreon.com slash ken knapsack and a friend follower i've met a i met him a few times at some live schmodown events the last time out in houston will mcclain 
I was trying to get a call in. His uh, his app kept crashing. That's fine. That's happened. Technical stuff goes on. But he's got this question through Discord. And he says, uh, we've been asking these Game of Thrones what ifs going back here a couple weeks. And I love what ifs. I love what ifs because there's no wrong answer. Uh, there's also no right answer. And it's hard to go back. You change one thing, the better butterfly effect comes into play. But uh, I just think on Game of Thrones, it's it's... It's a fun show to really look back right now and go, okay, but what if, what if this, what if, I mean, that started right from the beginning. What if, uh, Catelyn Stark hadn't taken Tyrion? What if Ned Stark just packed up and left? Didn't, it didn't listen to Baelish and stick around all those. What ifs? I love it. And that, that's a sign of a good show to me of a good story. You get to invest in Will's got this one. Well, it's close to my heart. You all know, I love Stannis Baratheon. The Iron Throne was his by right, but he lost it. And I understand why. I accept that. But I'm still a stan for Stannis. I will ask this question. He says, what if, what if Stannis had brought Melisandre to the Battle of Blackwater Bay? Would he have won? And if yes, does he kill all the Lannisters? That's a great one. That's a great one. Melisandre was very upset. And from her point of view, you have to understand why. She has, at, at this point in time, she has selected Stannis as Azor Ahai Reborn, the prince that was promised. Pulls light, bring her out of the sand. All right? And everyone accepts it. Now, we can get into some more deep questions, and let's do it, about what Melisandre really felt in those moments. And not even the moments that we saw in season two when we first meet Melisandre, but like even before that, I'd love, I, I don't always want every little answer in the stories and, and the worlds I love, but I would love to know the first meeting of Melisandre and Stannis. Stannis is a very practical, logical man. Okay. But he's a man. Does he, was he wooed by this fiery red priestess? Was he, was he, seduced is that how she got him to believe because he as Renly points out oh, I've heard you you accepted religion in your older age I see why is it just that because Stannis doesn't seem overly concerned with that but is that the lesson you may think you're above the normal natural urges but even Stannis wasn't I just think Melisandre much like a Sith Lord in Star Wars, because we love making this cross-references to Star Wars here in Castle Talk. Much like a Sith Lord or a Dark Side user seducing someone to the Dark Side of the Force, Melisandre, absolutely, you have to know, found Stannis' weakness. Which is not so much a pursuit of glory, but a pursuit of his own personal justice. I held Storm's End. Robert asked me to hold Storm's End. I did. He gave it to Renly. Everyone hates me. But I uphold the law. I uphold what is right. I do the right thing and I get nothing for it. And I don't care. But then I get shat upon in a way. So along comes Melisandre and she says, Well, you know, you are the chosen one. You are the light reborn into this world. The prince that was promised that is not only your iron throne, this is your world. And I'm sure Stannis stewed on that. 
and Stannis' sense of duty, his respect for those that keep their duty, even in his final moments, and his beliefs. I, I, I think the Iron Throne wasn't necessarily a pursuit, but it became this thing. It became a symbol. I will take the Iron Throne because now I believe it is mine. I believe I'm here for a greater purpose as well, even outside of the Iron Throne. And now good old Ned. I don't really like Ned. He's a stubborn fool, but he's strong. I respect him. Starks are Starks. My brother likes him. But now Ned's back at me. And look, I do I do respect him. And I think the Seven Kingdoms respect Ned Stark. So there's a path to the crown, a path to the throne. And that will prove to the world. And Melisandre's whispering this all in the ears of Stannis. I would love to see, hear, read those conversations. So she's powerful. She believes. And the Battle of Blackwater Bay was one of the many destinies that Stannis believed was his to conquer, his to take, his path to glory. But I think deep down right from the beginning, Stannis might have known what he was doing. Uh, The cost is not evident at this time. It's not clear. I think if you go back to season two, Stannis, and say you will burn your daughter at the stake, he might say, well, that's a bit extreme. It's a slow, subtle slide that Davos was clued into. I love that he listens to Davos on some level. It shows their connection. It shows the respect for the Onion Knight. But it also, to me, shows that glimmer of light and good inside Stannis. I do believe at one point he was a a good man. A hardened man, but a good man. It might have been years in the past by the time we pick up the story. But you know what I mean? He was something in there. Believing Davos in that situation, I think, was a sign of Stannis going, now you might be right. Though, the flip side, Davos appealed to his vainglory as well. Well, people say that the Red Woman's calling the shots around here. You don't like that, Stannis, do you? No, I'm the king. This is my... No, I'm making... Not her. Ah, Davos just knew how to get him. So does Stannis make that decision to leave Melisandre behind because he had a slice of good and believed in what Davos was saying? Or was this an appeal and a bruise to his ego? Little column A, little column B. But he goes into battle without her. He goes in with might and the advantage. He goes in with the armies of his brother that he killed through dark magic. And, of course, we know he gets defeated. And Melisandre, from her point of view, I have chosen you. I've selected you. I've given you power. I use dark magic to birth a shadow baby version of you to go kill your brother. And you leave me behind. Now, again, going back to the original point, I get off track here a little bit. I'd love to know the answer. Again, just like I don't always want every little uh, crack in the story filled in for me. I do like some information. I'd love to know. This would be from George R. R. Martin. Love to know Melisandre. Believe in the beginning. She ends up meeting Jon Snow. And this is the show only version right now, the only thing we got. When she meets Jon Snow, I mean, the power, the connection, it's undeniable. I've always thought that she'd go, oh, yeah, mm, what's wrong about Stannis? This is the one. Or was she like, aha, yes, this is the next step, the next chapter. Was Stannis part of that journey, part of that adventure, part of that uh, bigger purpose for Melisandre? I don't know. 
I think, though, part of what the lesson in the story of Melisandre, which I think is one of the more achingly beautiful haunting stories in Game of Thrones, even though she wasn't uh, as big of a factor in the last couple seasons, uh, her her end is, is, gosh, it just makes that episode, the long night, so beautiful to me. Um, just wrapped around that story. And let's put that, a pin in that battle, too. It's an interesting conversation to have about what she shows in that battle, what she can do. I believe part of Melisandre's story is her own failures, her lack, uh, her loss of confidence, loss of faith, loss of faith in her abilities, which is always weird. It's dark magic, but we somehow end up rooting for it in the battle of, uh, of light versus dark and ice and fire in the end. So I believe in my heart, someone who has studied a lot of what goes on between Stannis Baratheon and Melisandre, I do believe she, at one point, believed Stannis was the answer, and Stannis was right. Uh, maybe later on, it's a situation she's manipulating. Look at the pe- looking at the pieces on the chessboard and saying, "Yeah, this is what it is." But she looks at Thoros and Mir. He failed to convert Robert Baratheon, which was his mission. This is possibly the next in line. Should be the next in line. I think I'll try with him and look. It's working. Um, but I think she makes a mistake. I think that's part of it. Part of it when she meets John. And Stannis is around during this time. I think it confuses her, confounds her a little bit, which might lead to some of the bad decisions that she helped Stannis make. Um, but to the bigger question, I could talk about this all day. What's in Melisandre's mind? What does Stannis want? Would he have won the Battle of Blackwater Bay? Now, let's answer Will's sub-question first. If he had won, would he have destroyed the Lannisters? Yeah, I believe. It would have been his duty. That's what you do. Maybe a little bit of mercy for some, but not for Tywin if he was around, and not for Cersei. I believe Cersei's decision uh, to kill herself and kill Tommen on the, on the throne at the end of the battle was a justifiable decision because she probably knew what would happen. I don't think Stannis, and we know later on what he does with his own daughter again, but Marcella and Tommen would have been problems. Does he lock them up? Is he convinced by Davos and others, just lock up the children, kill the rest? Possibly. It's dark and grim, but it's the way of the world and this world that we watch and read and love. So, yeah, I think Stannis would have, Burned the city to the ground, sacked the city, wiped out the Lannisters, taken the throne. But to get to that point, he would have had to have win, uh, had have been victorious. And I think, I always thought about this is why I love this question. Well, what would have happened? This is a great what if. And back in season two, when he loses and she's upset at the final, the final episode, and he's upset at her, and... A pretty wonderful, intense scene of getting uh, him about to kill her and her convincing him to look into the flames and see see his future, possible future. Uh, and what goes after that? I always think, well, what what would she have done? What could she have done? Birth twenty nine shadow babies to go run through the castle and kill everyone? She admits later on some of her powers are fake. They're potions. They're tricks. Shadows on the wall. But we can't deny she has real powers. I always wondered, what would she have done, Will? Well, then we see 
the uh, Battle of Winterfell there, the uh, long night. We see her powers. We see what she can do. Could she have stopped the burning of the wildfire? What dark magic could be used to counter that own uh, little green bubbly dark magic? Would she have lit ablaze all the arrows of Stannis's men, all the swords of Stannis's men? Yes, I know, it didn't necessarily work out against the army of the dead, and she struggled before doing uh, what she needed to do to complete her destiny and complete her purpose. I don't think you win, uh, even with Arya, I don't think you win uh, against the Night King without Melisandre being there. She's part of a tapestry of that victory quilt, but key part. Going back to the Battle of Blackwater Bay, you're fighting men, mere mortals. And... Even at the time, Tyrion is is less believing in magic, right? He hasn't met hasn't met the dragons yet. He's seen the wildfire, but that's not necessarily magic. It's uh, you know, some weird dudes building it, making it, producing it. But Tyrion might be taken aback by dark magic in action, dark magic in battle. If you were to suddenly see a red priestess. Lighting the swords of Stannis's men as they hit the shores. Would you have been scared? Would you have cowered away? Would the Lannister soldiers be like, oh no, we got to run. If you had launched the wildfire and it was held back by some power you don't understand, would that have scared you? I think Melisandre's powers would have Razzled and dazzled a little bit more versus uh, the Night King. He was like, yeah, no, I get it. I know what you are. Um, so I don't uh, know specifically, Will, what she would have done. I think we see what she was capable of. And back then she was much more in tune with her faith and her skills and her abilities. So who knows what else she could have cooked up. Simply maybe she walks to the shore little dingy. Davos brings her aboard. And she walks out there almost looking like Galadriel, uh, Galadriel when she tries to take the ring. I am a dark. Well, maybe she does something like that. Swords drop. People run. The hound's like, I'm definitely out of here. Tyrion's left standing with an axe against a witch. I think my final answer as I work through this. Well, nothing's really final here. I think, as Will McLean asks us, what if Stannis had brought Melisandre to the Battle of Blackwater Bay? Would he have won? I think the answer is yes. That red witch would have pulled something out of her sleeves. There was more than bath uh, bath bombs, she explained later on to Stannis' wife. Um, it would have been something bigger. And it might have been mostly show. I think if Stannis had listened to her then, things might have gone differently. But they weren't supposed to. And that's part of the lesson. All right, I got some great calls coming up, some stuff dealing with what we were talking about last week, and uh, some new questions. And we're going to go back to the Battle of Winterfell, actually, both versions of the Battle of Winterfell. It's coming up here on Casterly Talk. Thanks for listening and stick around. Not thanks for licking. We're not lollipops. We'll see you. 
Stick around. schedule's a little wonky right now as I uh, finish up this move, which pretty much done, but, you know, new routines, new schedules, and I'm, I love getting these out Saturday morning, recording them during the week prior, but it didn't happen this week. Long schmodown tapings, uh, show I gotta go to, the Millennium Pro Wrestling show on Friday night, so this is a nice Sunday morning uh, recording of Casterly Talk for me, and I'm feeling nice and relaxed listening to all of you talk about Game of Thrones with me here, and uh, we're gonna do that right now with some Calls from some favorites. Let's get to the phones. Hey, Ken, Alden Diaz here with a question about the new king, Bran the Broken. So we just finished watching the entire show from season one all the way to the end. It was my girlfriend's first time, and she was kind of unsure about Bran. You know, she felt a lot of mixed things about him at the end, a little bit of resentment toward how awkward and, and non-responsive he could be with his lack of emotions toward the end. So she, she questioned that choice. But I encourage her to look more at the tactics of it with Tyrion selecting somebody and pitching that to the crowd that could not carry on a dynasty. And with Bran assembling a small council that I'm pretty sure is going to do all the work. He even says, hey, I'm going to go use my abilities to try to find the dragon. You guys uh, take care of the rest. I'm pretty sure I got an all-star squad here. So I'm curious to see how you feel about that. Did Bran actually choose Tyrion to be Hand of the King to make Tyrion the actual power, as we had seen with other hands in the past? Thanks so much, man. I appreciate all your hard work. Great question, Alden Diaz. Yeah, we, 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 we talk a lot about Bran the Broken here because I think it's an interesting subject. It is a big choice, and, and that choice we've talked about before, I, I do believe that's a... George R. R. Martin choice. You know, we'll find out for sure, obviously. Tactics, the purpose, and what it means. Yeah, I think that a lot of what you're saying, Alden, is correct. And first of all, your girlfriend's one of many, myself included, in the actual moment of like, what? Wait, that's who I was following all along? The king? That's the king? But it does make sense. You go back to episode one. I mean, it's not necessarily I'm saying it's Brad's story. I still think this is John and Danny's story more than anything. But the pursuit for the throne, which was a part of marketing campaigns, not just for season A, but all the way back to the beginning. I mean, that was it was a false pursuit. The lessons seem to be about uh, the type of people that pursue it or what happens to those, even the good ones that pursue that title. And Bran, of course, is the one that isn't affected by it. We'll find out more, and it's one of those things that I do do really look forward to getting George R. R. Martin's explanation forward if this is the path he goes. Again, you know, could be Varys <laughs> in the books, and he and he could be scrambling. That's your conspiracy theories now. George is switching it. It was Bran in the books. Now he's making it uh, hot pie. Um, but yeah, the tactics, everything, the point, the purpose. Um, Brand didn't want it, said he didn't want it, but he probably knew he was going to get it. And Tyrion knew all that. And that was a choice that made sense. But in the moment, yeah, it's awkward. 
It's, it's slightly offensive, too, if you're, if you're following this character. What about Sansa? And I've said before, and I'll say it again, I actually like that Sansa was probably would have been a great ruler. I, not probably. Would have been a great queen. A queen of the Seven Kingdoms. But I love that she's like, all right, cool, great. Uh, we're going to take the North back. And that means more to me, to the history of this land. And equally, if not more powerful to me. Especially because the Iron Throne now seems slightly diminished. King of six kingdoms, five kingdoms, I guess it's six. Um, as far as Tyrion, we talked about it during uh, reviews of the show. Yeah, I, I, I still think it's a bit of a punishment. <laughs> you had some sins. Uh, John's punishment is, you know, go be free. Uh, Tyrion's is, uh, you, you got to rule. But yeah, he's good at it. Bran knows that. So I think it was all supposed to be. But yeah, in the moment, it's tremendously awkward. It's interesting you watched it. Big marathon, all done with your girlfriend, uh, seeing it all for the first time. And yeah, that's uh, it's out of left field, but I love it so much. I love it so much. You would have put a lot of money down, right? If, and won a lot uh, if you put money down on Bran being the king. And I know some people did. Not literally. Was there actual... Throne betting in Vegas? I don't know. That's something we used to do on the old uh, Screen Junkie show. So um, that's why I say it. So, yeah, I think it all, I think you're right. I think uh, we have the general consensus. Tyrion and the All-Star Small Council get to rule the land and get to rule it the right way. Bran gets to hold a title that is almost meaningless. And again, if you look through the recent history of this world, it was somewhat meaningless. Tywin was the, in some ways, undisputed ruler of the land for 20 years. Before the Mad King went mad, Tywin was the true power. Everyone knew it. Tywin knew it. And it's part of why the king went mad in a way. When when he was with it enough, he knew that he didn't really have the power. It's not like in the the old the olden days. Again, referencing fire and blood, I think those who who assumed the 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 title and 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 went up to the throne, um, yeah, had more power, had more power. But their mistakes and their follies uh, and their enemies changed the game. And so by the time we pick up the story, the Mad King is king and title only. Tywin is the ruler. When Tywin leaves and the feud between the Mad King and Tywin really explodes and Jamie's put on the King's Guard and all that stuff, uh, you see what happens. You see what happens. When Tywin throws his weight behind the opposing forces, it's defeat for the Mad King. But then Robert assumes the throne and gets up there. And... As Tywin tells Tommen later on, uh, you know, a great, uh, great warrior does not make a great ruler. And Robert was a bad king. And everyone else ran the land for him. It wasn't necessarily the hand of the king, right? John Aaron, I don't think, is viewed as a power in the sense Tywin was. Uh, but he's key, and he's a mentor, and he's an advisor. So he's an advisor. Um, but it's the small council that 
keeps things afloat. I think Renly's there to foster love from the people. Something he believed he could do well and did do well. Baelish is there to find the money when there is no money. Keeping things afloat. Not to mention everything else he's working on. Varys is working to keep either keep people on the throne or remove them. And sometimes doing both at the same time. That is why uh, Robert was not viewed as a, a truly great and powerful king. Everyone who is pursuing the Iron Throne in the show is aware of that and wants to change it or wants to break the wheel. They want to do something different with that title and that position. But in the end, in the end it, it, it kind of means nothing, and that's why I like Bran taking it. I think. <laughs> I struggle with it at times. I, 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 I never wanted John to have it. Never wanted John to have it. And as, as Alden pointed out, you know, Bran... Kind of the you know he's not necessarily moving on uh, any any dynasties any dynasties as they would say in the show. Um, John's is is, an, is a legacy and, a, and part of a dynasty that uh, some people are glad ended, some others not. But that's why Brand's even even more of a good choice. Whether we like it or not, I think Brand is a good choice. Thank you, Alden, for that uh, thought. There uh, we're going with our pal uh, Kevin's got a response to some stuff uh, we previously talked about. Press and play would help, huh, Ken? Hey, Ken, Kevin Ross. I just wanted to address Eric's and all of our concerns over the very fast Season 7 and the extremely fast Season 8. What I believe is that D&D has given everyone a blessing in disguise. Let me explain. What D&D did is they showed us that Game of Thrones would never, ever work as a two- to three-hour film. The most recent example I can point to this is Stephen King's adaptation of The Dark Tower. Uh, that entire series is 4,389 pages total, or approximately 548 pages per book. And the portion they were adapting in hopes of future films, The Gunslinger, was 300 pages by itself. So this book was a, to be adapted to a mass audience would just skim the surface of the story, which it did. And that's what D&D did. They had no guide to go from except bullet points, so all they could do was traditional um, um, television scripting and produce what we got. They proved that George's books could not be adapted for film. Thank you. All right, Kevin's always got some great, great thoughts that are uh, sometimes out of left field or outside the box. That's why I love having uh, Kevin's calls her in the show, and, and I kid Kevin a little bit, but I know Kevin. I've shared drinks with him on a comedy store patio. Um, always uh, check out his show, uh, Three Cocktail Questions. Uh, it'll get you thinking whether you agree with it or not, and uh, I like this take. I'm sure there's some people out there who probably hate this take. Seven and eight, if you don't like those shows, you don't like the speed. And we had talked about this previously. It's why Kevin brings it up. You know, if you say, well, it's uh, all to prove. Not that he's not that he's saying Dan and David did that to prove something. But it, it, it proves by itself that, you know, the show, how great it was that they did adapt things. And, and uh, like you said, that it wouldn't have worked two, three, two or three hour movie. Uh, yeah, if you're not a fan of a Dan and David did in seven and eight, you're not gonna. That's not gonna make you be even more of a fan. But the fact remains, yeah, the other things that you can't uh, you can't adapt. It, it's it's kind of proven time and time again. And there's people who dislike the Lord of the Rings movies. I, I, I one one old boss of mine I despise those movies. 
beyond just Tom Bombadil. Like just despite, oh my gosh. And, and, and there are a lot of changes that Peter Jackson and, and his team make. So I, I get it from a certain point of view, uh, not being so steeped in the Lord of the Rings books as others. Uh, I just enjoy those movies and so much and three of my favorite pieces of film. Um, Digital or otherwise. Uh, so, yeah, the speed of seven and eight and working off. Uh, I still think it had way much uh, more to do with budget, time, the killing of their crew, and knowing that they wanted to put all of it into these big battles and moments versus the little storytelling. And, and it's a cost. And I think Lon Harris said that really well in some of the show reviews earlier uh, here on Castle Talk of, of we did lose some things. We did lose the intimate moments. And you can lament that, and you should lament that. But we got these big moments that maybe when you look back, you'll appreciate a little bit more. And I I would be okay with a Game of Thrones movie now, a la like a Deadwood or Breaking Bad, if you're fans of those shows. But a Game of Thrones movie back then, a Game of Thrones movie instead of the show, absolutely impossible. Absolutely impossible. It was built on the small intimate moments. It was built on the big plot twists. Uh, it wasn't built on the big action early on. Battle of Blackwater Bay, they had almost no budget for it. They're fighting on the same stretch of beach. They're probably fighting in front of large black curtains. You know what I mean? Like, they had to pull a lot of strings, but necessity is the mother of invention, right? In Battle of Blackwater Bay is high on a lot of people's lists, including mine, is, is a giant battle that on Game of Thrones that is really, really near and dear to your heart. So, yeah. Yeah. Was it a blessing in disguise? A painful reminder? Painful lesson? Maybe. I just love Kevin's theories. Final thought of the day from our friend Eric Monroe. Speaking of battles. Hey, Ken Casterly Talk. So I want to talk about the battles of Winterfell, where there were a couple. No, actually, there were three. We have uh, Stannis' campaign against the Boltons. We have the Battle of the Bastards. And, of course, we have the Long Night. Now, as far as my favorite, I can't really go with uh, the Stannis one because we only saw the very, very beginning and the very, very end. So between the Battle of the Bastards and the Long Night, they're both um, great. They are both have a Lord of the Rings quality to them. Now, with the Long Night, I admit I was one of those people who my first viewing of it, I could not see it when it aired and it was a little frustrating. I gave it about 10 minutes and then I switched to my phone. I think what it really comes down to is if you prefer people fighting people or people fighting, um, you know, supernatural things and both had amazing stakes in them. But I think if I had a pick between them, I would probably go with Battle of the Bastards. But what do you think? All right. What do I think? What is the best battle of Winterfell? We got three to choose from, right? Yeah. And I use Eric and I are the biggest Stannis the Manus fans in the world, and yeah, Stannis is not just because he lost and died, but they just didn't show the battle, um, which is fine. It's fine. Did you need? You, you, it was going to be a slaughter. Did you need to see a slaughter? No, I don't think that's compelling. So yeah, that one doesn't rate. So yeah, you have Miss Miguel Sapochnik shooting with his team, of course, shooting these two great battles. Look, here's the here's the thing: we both win. We all win. No matter what battle you choose. Battle of the Bastards, Battle of Winterfell. Both for the same plot of land. One with 
well, both with large stakes. If Ramsey wins and Jon Snow dies, I think, you know, the Night King would have had a little more fun with that. Um, oh, man, how do you choose? What is the best battle? Eric breaks it down to its core levels. Do you like fighting zombies or fighting humans? I think a lot of people would answer, and this is, let's take the the viewing of it aside. If, if you were one of the folks that, uh, like Eric, who couldn't see it much the first time, or, or like me, I, I swear to the seven gods, the old gods and the new, the first time I watched Long Night, I had no problem seeing anything, and I don't, I'm not one of those techies, man. My TV's not set to, to correct anything. I guess I got lucky. I uh, was honestly confused when I got off, uh, got back on Twitter after the show was over and like people couldn't see it. I understood it was dark, but hey, that happens. I've explained before my viewings of Solo uh, in, in different theaters were different. So let's put that aside, okay? Let's put that aside if you can. Let's just talk about it. I I would choose the Battle of Winterfell, uh, the Battle for uh, the War for the Dawn, uh, the Season 8 battle. Battle of the Bastards is, it's really good, obviously. They're both good. That moment with Jon Snow being trampled um, in a show where by this point you're pretty sure who's got plot armor on. Season six, Jon Snow already died. We've still got bigger things to come. There was... Going into the Battle of the Bastards. Whether I thought Ramsey would win or not, in terms of Jon Snow dying, I thought there's one person that's not going to die. But as he's trampled and buried and gasping for air, there was at least a second where I thought, oh, is this how he dies? Again, I'm snapped back into, into reality, and I know that's not how he dies, but that's how good that moment was, right? You believe it. You fall for it. The ending with Sansa and uh, Bela showing up with the Knights of the Vale, a lot of people could see coming. And don't forget at the time, it's only two seasons back now, but what, three years removed. People were upset. I was I was hosting Screen Junkies show, watching Thrones, and Lon and I were putting that together. And you, let me tell you, people were upset. We saw this coming a mile away. We knew Sansa was going to save the day. How bad. I love that. Time changes opinions and, 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 and the fires burn a little less. And I think that's, again, that will happen a little bit with season eight. Because there's a lot of things about this battle in season eight, other, again, other than technical stuff, where ah, I saw that coming. Ah, there was no tension. None of the important people died. Well, Battle of the Bastards, no one on the good team died other than 1-1. Like, it was clean victory after all the red shirts died, you know? And Sansa comes in and, and saves the day, and people people knew. But again, I, I I think we get caught up in the surprises, and and I saw that coming. Well, that's not what I wanted. That happens so much now. So you forget the Battle of the Bastards had that, and now it just stands alone as this beautiful battle that you can see clearly in the daylight. And it's human versus human. It's intense. It's a raw. It, it, it's its own battle, and a show that continuously puts forth these really brutal battles in which you focus on the characters. Um, battle of Bastards is is just the most realistic of all the battles, and they of course use some real life medieval history in that one as well, and tactics and everything. So that would make sense. 
But for me, the movie that was episode, was it three now? Long night. That was its own movie, its own story, its own play. Uh, so many different sections and genres, and they talked about it. Breaking it down to a zombie horror movie when Ari is running around and, and, and so forth and so on. So, yeah, uh, I love that one. I really do love The Long Night, and that's my favorite Battle of Winterfell. I love how it happened. I loved who died. I loved how it ended. I loved the way it was shot. I loved the setting. Uh, I told you before the beginning of this episode, the Melisandre stuff, her death at the end is just poetry, dark, dark poetry. And to me, Battle of the Bastards is, is, is lacking some of that. Also, mind you, this is like we're talking about an A minus grade versus an A, you know, <laughs> like that's what we love to do, though, in these fandoms. So I always get worried I, in this day and age. I think I over over explain and apologize for my opinions. I think you all get it. I love this show, obviously. But yeah, Battle of the Bastards for me. Again, had stakes. Very personal stakes. It was up close and muddy and dirty and violent. The Long Night is just this art piece to me. It's it's a concert piece. It's it's John Williams conducting an orchestra, except for it's Rami Shawadi and, and Ms. Miguel Sapochnik and, and all the producers and writers and creators and actors. You're watching the symphony. Different parts different speeds and tempos, the pain, the suffering, the joy. And I'm just pulled into that one. I haven't watched it since it aired. I'm thinking, getting ready. I don't know. I'm about ready to do a big rewatch. That's a commitment. It's a time. You all know. You all know. I don't just want to watch season eight again. I want to go through and feel the journey. I have a lot of other shows and books to catch up on uh, and just life to catch up on, but I want to do it because I want to feel the story again. I want to get into every decision and see where it all ends up. And maybe does my opinion of season eight change a season that I really love? I really, really do. Could it change? Could it change? I love season seven, defended it a lot on air. Uh, we're working on the Collider show there. And a lot of slings and arrows started coming at the show then. And I'll still defend it. I still love it. But I remember going back and watching it in prep in preparation for season eight and going, okay, I see it a little bit more. I see what people, you know, and I always try to see the other side and be respectful of people's opinions. But I saw a little bit more of the critiques in season seven, and then they, they took a little more stronger hold on me. Still love a lot of, of about season seven. I really do. Um, I think, like, I go back season three, other than some of the bigger moments, now is not one of my favorite seasons. We're spinning our wheels a little bit more in season three for me. Uh, season four has some spectacular stuff, some of my favorite moments and episodes. There are some moments where it feels like it's a wheel spinning. But season two rose in the ranks after watching it again and again and again and again. So we'll see where season eight lies, but we'll see more importantly where this battle lies. I just love it. I love everything about it. And I love the Battle of Bastards. But it doesn't seem, again, it's important, but it doesn't seem as as epic to me now. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. What is the best Battle of Winterfell? And what are your reasons for it? 
I don't want snarky comments. I want real thoughtful things on why you think one is your favorite, not even why it's better than the other. Because I'll tell you, the Battle of Blackwater Bay might actually still be my favorite battle in all of Game of Thrones. Low budget and all. Low stakes and all. Because back then, it's just Stannis and King's Landing. What's at stake there? But at that point, it was everything. Everything. When that door bursts open and Tywin comes in saying, the battle is over. We have won. I I didn't realize I've been holding my breath for 55 minutes. But I had a lot of that in the long night. The Battle of Bastards, like I said, I really, for two seconds, Jon Snow is dead. But my breath wasn't as held as it was in the long night. So that's my personal reaction. It's my personal thoughts. The stories, how they play out, play out the characters, the tensions, the dramas. And yeah, the Night King, we didn't learn a lot about him. He didn't sit down and go, here's all the clues. Here's why I chopped up the horses and the people and put them into symbols. Here's why. Here's what I'm after. And sometimes, you know, I feel as though I want those answers one day eventually. Maybe from George, maybe from the prequel series. I don't know. But sometimes things are just evil. And it is the story of the people fighting that evil more than it is the evil itself. So that's why I choose the long night. What is my, uh, your answer? That's mine. What is yours? You let me know. I want to know. You can reach out using the hashtag Casterly Talk on Twitter by following me at CatNapsock. Or what I'd rather have you do is uh, get the Anchor app. And give us a call. I want to hear your voice on the show. It's a lot of fun interacting with you all, hearing your hot takes, hearing your thoughts. You guys are wonderful in the Casterly Talk audience for being such a a thoughtful bunch and great thought starters. Loved it today. Would Stannis have won if he had used Melisandre? What's the best battle of Winterfell? Winterfell. Oh, man. You guys present a lot of good stuff. That's why I love doing Casterly Talk. We'll see you next time. (laughs) 